Welcome to another episode of the Maniverse Podcast with your host, Tom Traplin. This is session number 32. So, you want to open a store in Toronto or what? <laughs> and uh, I sort of said to him, like, you know what? I really want to do this board game cafe thing. Like, I, you know, I, I think it'll be great. I, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, he said, like, oh, okay. He's like, yeah, cool. Follow your dream. When that fails, let me know and we'll start a really awesome thing in Toronto called Mad Cards. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Maniverse Podcast. We're continuing the face-to-face game series today. This time we're back in Toronto with Kelly Ackerman. Kelly is the co-owner of the newest iteration of the face-to-face business, the aptly named Face-to-Face Toronto. This is part one of an awesome two-part interview I recorded with Kelly, and he is the current record holder for longest intro on the podcast so far. 35 minutes of this episode is dedicated to the Kelly Ackerman origin story, and if they are the only minutes you listen to, you would still get a ton of value out of it. You see, Kelly also holds the title for organizing the largest North American PTQ ever, the world, if you don't count PTQs associated with Grand Prix. And he breaks down exactly what he did to make the tournament so successful. There's a ton of stuff to take away from this episode, and it's only the first half. But before I introduce you to Kelly, I want to talk to you a bit about why I created this podcast. My vision for the Maniverse podcast is to make game store entrepreneurship easier. I believe owning a local game store is it's a great business model, but I also believe it's more than just another business. And LGS is the home for the community of gamers that springs up around it. They help build friendships that can last decades. Many of my closest friends were once just players across the table at my LGS. They create a friendly social atmosphere that brings people together to play games, one of my all-time passions. And ultimately, I think there needs to be more of them. To date, I've been supporting the show through my own efforts. This includes paying for things like web hosting, audio equipment, editing software, audio hosting, and all the other things it takes to make a successful podcast and cover the kinds of things that you'd like me to cover. And right now, I'm excited to say that the Maniverse Podcast now has a Patreon page, which you can find at patreon.com forward slash Maniverse Podcast. Patreon is a platform to directly support the content creators you like most. It works on a per-creation basis, and in my case, that means each episode of the podcast I produce, so we're looking at about four episodes each month. Patreon lets you set the amount you want to pay for each piece of content, and you set a monthly max so you don't have to worry about being overcharged. Patreon offers me a new way to fund this operation. You, the listener, can support the show directly and tip me every time I produce a new full-length episode. This kind of support is very exciting because it means those who support me are the same folks I make the show for. You guys. So if you like what the Maniverse podcast is all about, and you think I'm creating something valuable for the community... I encourage you to go to patreon.com forward slash metaverse podcast and become a patron. Even a dollar a show will be massively appreciated. Thanks. Okay, well, let's get to the show. I will let Kelly take it from here. All right. Well, hey, everybody. Uh, my name is Kelly Ackerman, and I am a co-owner of Face Face Games Toronto, which is, uh, I, I own it with the Montreal store, which is owned primarily by Salvatore Retta. Uh and uh, I- I'm here on a podcast. Cool, cool. 
So how did you get into magic? How did you start gaming? What's your personal well, experience? My my adventure with magic started when I was 10 years old. Uh, I, I collected Marvel trading card or trading cards for a long time. I, I don't know if everyone remembers the Marvel universe from like 91, 92. Mm-hmm. Way back. Yeah, all that good stuff. So I, I I was always a collector of stuff, and then my cousin introduced me to magic. Uh, right, you know, I think Fallen Empires had just come out, uh, and I was like, "Wow, this is crazy! This is so cool!" There's like rules and spells, and you can monsters and stuff. Wow. Um, so I got into magic pretty heavy. Uh, then I I convinced everybody else in in grade five to play with me and. We all got started. We had no idea what the rules did, or we made up all our own rules. Had that really awesome <laughs> phase of magic where, you know, somebody opens a craw worm and you're like, whoa! Holy cow, 6'4, it's huge! It's enormous! And then somebody <laughs> else later opened a force of nature and then it was like, what? How's it, what does this card even do? It's humongous. Um, so yeah, it did, did that for a long time, but I was always sort of the ringleader uh, of. of the magic crew at, at school like everyone turned to me for for advice or ideas or we'd all meet at my house and play and stuff like that so mm-hmm. uh and then from there i sort of stuck with the game all the way through uh junior high and then high school and in high school i started organizing sealed deck tournaments um again it was at my place i would like do a budget and you know get people together and then i'd ride my bike up to the store uh, and, and buy a box or two. Back then it was starter decks. So uh, yeah. we, we, I think the first one we did was 6th edition. When 6th edition came out, I got a bunch of starters, some booster packs as prizes. I factored like pizza and, and PC cola into the price of, of entry and stuff like that. So I've always been, always had an affinity for organizing events, and uh, and and I that was one of the things I loved about Magic right from the beginning was that it brought people together, and it was sort of an excuse to to get together with friends. It was something to do, you know. For uh, sure. Which I think I think that's what a lot of people love about Magic is that exact thing, you know. Mm-hmm. So you already had the uh, the entrepreneur in you, exactly. Way back yeah. when. And uh, at a certain point, everyone stopped playing. Like, they just got bored or got out of it. And then I started playing more Dungeons and & Dragons and kept being nerdy, but in other ways. Uh, the Magic cards just sort of collected dust for a while. Um, but uh, when, I, when I moved to Toronto when I was 23, uh, I didn't, didn't know a lot of people. Uh, I had some family here and stuff that I like to hang out with, but uh, I was walking by a shop downtown, 401 Games, and saw they had a magic sign in the window. And I was like, oh, I wonder if they do sealed deck. That might be a thing. So I sort of slowly got back into it. That was 2008. Uh, Shards of Alara had just come out. Um, and uh, and so I just sort of started dabbling a bit and found that I really liked it, really you know, had, had a great time with it. My first draft that I ever participated in, um, you know, this was like just getting back in. I'd actually never done a draft before because we always played sealed deck or just like made our own decks. Uh, and so I opened my first pack and I just say to the table, like, what's the orange rarity symbol? That's new. Like never seen an <laughs> orange rare. 
everyone's like, oh, that's that's like a super duper rare. It's probably worth a lot of money. Just pick it. I'm like, okay, cool. And I slam my Johnny Vengeance face up on the table. <laughs> and everyone's like, you draw face down, idiot. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like, okay, yeah, turn it down. So so, uh, so that was like my, my foray back into to Magic and got in pretty hard at that point, started playing a lot. And, uh, found a couple other shops. Anyway, I was working construction at the time. One thing led to another, got laid off, didn't want to go back to working construction. And this shop I was working at a lot, or playing at a lot then, the Harry T, mm-hmm. needed a hand. So I started working there, helping them out. And uh, that was sort of the beginning of tournament organizing for me. Okay. Uh, one sec. I'm going to put us on pause here. We can do some clever editing if that's all right. Oh, What's yeah, that? That, that happens. Oh, my car is open. Why is your car? There's literally Why a not? stabbing out there. Wow. Yeah, I know. Crazy. There's Why a stabbing out front of our store. Don't don't tell everyone on the podcast that. Uh, <laughs> really? Uh, Still not the most scandalous podcast. Yeah, I know. Um, uh, d- don't worry about the stuff in my car. Just fucking okay, take off. Cool. It's all good. Bye. <laughs> all right. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, so uh, <laughs> leading back into. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, so I started helping out at the Harry Tarantula, started organizing events. Uh, they just had opened their second shop up at Young and Steel's uh, in the north end of town, which was like a big basement. So it had all this potential play space, which the downtown store didn't have. The downtown store, like six of us would crowd around a little table and draft, and that was about as, as big as a tournament could get, you know, eight if we really squished it in. Um, but then uh, the, the North End store had tons of space uh, and lots of tables and chairs and stuff like that. But it was definitely just, uh, it was like, had that true old-fashioned comic book store feel where there's like stuff everywhere and, you know, stuff's got prices, but you're not sure. And maybe it's an old price or a new price, you know, tables and chairs, dust everywhere. Uh, so it was, it was awesome, but it, it needed a lot of work. So we started working on that, getting, started building a community. I think like the, uh, the Friday Night Magic tournaments were like five people playing standard at first you know uh, yeah um you know dragging people out um anyway it, it it grew and it grew um at some point you know we started hitting 15 20 25 for friday magic and stuff like that and then uh grand prix toronto 2012 started approaching 2012 2012 2011 20 i'm gonna say 2011 because that's just me picking a picking a year what year is it now yeah (laughs) no it was it was probably 2011 um okay oh you know what it was it was grand prix montreal that's what it was it was grand prix montreal 2011 and uh and that came close and we wanted to run a gpt so I needed to find out how to get a judge. And I figured, you know what, if I'm going to get a judge out here, there wasn't a whole lot of local judges. Most of like the level two judges were actually from Kitchener-Waterloo yep. and sort of other places outside Toronto by about an hour, hour and a half. Um, and I figured, you know what, if I'm going to get a judge out here to help, I should probably get a level two judge who can just let me write a level one judge test and figure that out so that I can run these on my own in the future. Good plan. Um, so I got someone who came to be a good friend, Charlotte Sable, to come out and uh, help run a GPT and then, uh, you know, do a bit of mentorship throughout the day and then let me write a judge test, uh, which I passed. And, and that was sort of my beginning into judging. Um, 
and and that that went really well um and i really enjoyed judging uh and when i went to gp montreal a couple weeks later i sort of helped out on the judge staff a little bit and i was like man this is really cool i, I really like this big tournament thing i really like judging i really like you know being on the on the ground floor you know in the trenches as it were um and so i started started running more events locally and uh and running more gpts and stuff like that sort of uh but then i also started applying to grand prix and working on getting my level two um and uh and and from there once uh i sort of sort of uh once i hit level two that was at grand prix toronto 2012 for sure um and then I really started going to Grand Prix from Grand Prix Toronto 2012, which was in December, to uh, through through th- over the next six months, I went to six Grand Prix uh, as a judge. Busy schedule. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was it was awesome. Uh, I was like traveling all over, um, had a blast with it. Uh, I, I got to do Vegas, which Ooh. was amazing. Um, but uh, before Vegas uh, was our first. PTQ and uh, we'd been that was right when Wizards stopped just giving PDQs to the, the PTO for those who remember that era when there was just one person running Pro mm-hmm. qualifiers they started switching it up and, and letting any store with sort of a, a half decent track record of, of running good events and that it got good feedback and had the numbers they let them get try their hand at a PTQ uh, and that's sort of where I really started to get noticed because um, traditionally in Toronto for those who don't live in Toronto Toronto is a, a city of about you know three and a half million people if you include some of the outlying area and uh, there's a ton of magic players um, I actually heard a statistic somebody said that uh, Canada has the highest population density of magic players any anywhere in the world per capita and Toronto has the highest density within Canada so or so so I don't I don't know if that necessarily means the most the uh, most magic players per capita of any city but it's there's a lot of people here a lot of people play magic here um, but our PTQs were always run at sort of this rundown old legion that you had to like take the subway and then take a bus and there was like parking for about 30 but then 150 would show up and, yep I've been to a few of those yeah, there's, there's. I mean, it wasn't the only city that had PTQs like this. You know, folding tables that would collapse in the middle of matches and stuff like yeah. that. Like, just not, not a great experience overall. Hot, sweaty, no side events, sort of lame prizes. Um, and I said, you know, when when I was given the opportunity to plan a PTQ, I sort of looked at it and I said, you know what? I think Toronto's had I had enough of of this. You know, and I think they're ready for something bigger. Um, so that was when I started hunting around for venues. Um, and and as any TO will tell you, that uh, planning and organizing before the event are so critical to the success of an event. Um, and if if you know people are looking for you know nuggets of wisdom, my my advice would be don't skimp on the amount of time you spend planning um for me i i looked all over the city i went to all these you know uh hotels because they've all got like banquet halls and stuff like that and um call other legion halls and 
tried to tried to find a venue that was going to work. Um, and downtown Toronto is, is traditionally very expensive. And I was hunting and hunting and hunting, you know, the YMCA and all these places. Nobody would take me or not for a price that was, that was reasonable for a magic tournament. Um, and then eventually I thought like, hold on a minute. I I'm a student at George Brown college. Like we've got a gymnasium here. Why, you know, I'm doing all this research from my laptop sitting outside the athletic center. Why don't I just like walk into the athletic center and ask if I can rent the gym? So I like closed the laptop, walked into the athletic center, asked if I could rent the gym. They were like, yeah, sure. No problem. 900 bucks. I was like, okay. That's like, you know, and I'm getting quotes from, from, uh, you know, banquet halls at like 4,000 or whatever. And these guys, you know, for, for gym at school, mm-hmm. no big deal. And it was, it was huge. It was done huge. deal. Yeah, exactly. I had to rent some tables and chairs cause they didn't have that. Uh, but that, you know, easy, no problem. So we rent a bunch of tables and chairs, get the gym. And then we start advertising the event and, Another cool thing that I did that I didn't even realize how important it was, was I posted on a couple of the forums and stuff uh, in, in saying, hey, this is a PTQ. Here's what I want to do for prizes. What do you guys think? Um, and I solicited feedback like five months, four, or maybe four or five months before the event. Said like, hey, this is what I want to give away as prizes. Does this seem fair? What do you guys think? How did they take it? And they they ripped it to pieces um they said like this bullshit like blah blah you know why would you give us this prize you know i had this scheme where i said you know what ptq should be a big fun event for everyone so let's give away like a ton of door prizes so about 50 percent of my total prize pool was set up as door prizes um but the 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 main event prizes only paid down to eighth place um so someone you know they pointed out like so what i play in this ptq all day I get ninth place on breakers and I don't even get like half a box or something like, come on, that's ridiculous. I was like, okay, cool. So, but everyone, but everyone was like, you know what? This is really awesome that you're asking whether or not, you know, we care like that you're encouraging us to participate in constructing the event. Um, and people were really, really appreciative of that. And so it's sort of, I took all the feedback, you know, some of it was ridiculous, but a lot of it was very constructive. I sort of redid things a bit, added some stuff, took away some stuff, changed some numbers around and posted it back up being like, okay, what's this look like? And everyone said like, oh, it's way better. Some of us still aren't happy about it, but everyone's at least seeing that you're trying. And as far as magic players go, in my experience, they just want to see that you give a crap. Like they just want to see that you put some real thought into it and that, that you're actually making an effort. You know, they understand that events are run by businesses that are trying to make money and for the most part magic players are understanding of that most magic players are trying to make money especially at least the grinders who are going to show up on forums and talk about tournament prizes yeah the Uh, ones who are going to go to your tournament are going to go to try and exactly make some money doing it exactly that's that's the whole point so they're not afraid of that concept you know don't rake people over the coals with it but be upfront and be you know transparent to as you know as as much as you reasonably can of like yes i am gonna make money on this tournament that's the whole point um i i hope to i hope to set it up in a way that enough people want to come and participate um so so anyway we we got some good feedback uh one thing i did that nobody 
people hadn't really done in a big way in Toronto before was I got other stores involved. Like I, I got other stores to come out and vend. Um, so like, hey, you know, you can set up a table. I made the tables like pretty cheap. Um, and again, another sort of thing that I didn't realize how important it was going to be uh, was that all these stores who then signed on to vend told all their locals about it. So I had like, you know, CBA out in Whitby you know, which is an hour away, telling all their locals, like, hey, we're going to this tournament, we're going to be there buying and selling cards, doing trades, you know, it's going to be a big PTQ, look at all this. Um, so all of a sudden, I, I solicited all this advertising sort of by accident. Hmm. Now, I had all these people um, promoting the event just because they were going to be there too. So of course, they're going to promote it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, How much anyway. did you charge them for the table? It varied depending on how big a table they wanted mm -hmm. and yada yada, but I think it was between about two hundred and four hundred. Uh, that was that was the last time I ever charged that little for a table. <laughs> yeah, it seems like a pretty good deal for them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think I mean it was uh, it was untested, right? Nobody knew how many people were going to show up. You yeah. know, PTQs are typically a hundred, hundred and twenty people, and uh, there was five i think as many as i think there was five vendors including the store i was at you know including the hater tarantula there's five so we we're spreading the room pretty thin and we, we were up front about that we we're like yeah there's gonna be a bunch of people there but uh but you know we won't charge you much for the table so it wound up uh everyone had like a decent day and was pretty happy with it um but the uh so on the actual day we we actually get to the tournament now we've promoted it we've set it all up right we've got a great judge staff i reached out got you know jason wong who's now a level three at the time he was level two but like well definitely a ringer in the community um to come out we built a staff of you know i i decided you know what even if there's only like 100 people there i want a really well staffed event so that you know there's lots of judges there's you know Judge calls get answered promptly. You know, it's a great training ground for young judges. So we brought up a bunch of people who are just getting into judging. They're they're great because they really need the experience. So you can usually get away with paying them a little less. Um, you know, because they just want the experience. Um, and sometimes you just need someone to push in chairs and pick up garbage. You know. Yeah. Um, and everyone's got to sort of pay their dues in the judge community of of learning the ropes. You know. Um, so I think we had 11 judges on staff. And I was like, yeah, all right, sweet. This is going to be the you know, best ratios ever. Um, and uh, morning of the tournament, we get it all set up. We're there. And people started showing up. Uh, and people, you know, getting registrations, getting people entered into the tournament. People start showing up. And people start showing up. People keep showing up. And there's a lineup out the door. And we're like, holy smokes, what the hell's going on? So... It winds up, we get we get through the whole lineup, we, we're realizing like we're way beyond what we thought we would be, uh, we're scrambling to get extra tables and chairs, and uh, we get through the whole lineup and we're at 290 players or something, like yeah. holy Toledo, and then uh, just about when we're ready to start, I'm like, hold on, wait, uh, Tommy... It was my scorekeeper. I was like, did we put all these pre-registered players in? These, like, 75 pre-registered players? And he's like, uh, nope. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, cool. So we had all the pre-regs, and the final tally was 367 players. That um, is a hell of a turnout. 
which is insane. Uh, it was totally nuts. It was almost twice the size of any other PTQ in, in Toronto in recent history. Um, and I, we did some digging, and aside from a couple of GPs in Europe that were attached to to Grand Prix, um, there there's there's PTQs attached to Grand Prix mm-hmm. Europe back in the day. It, I think it was at the time the largest PTQ ever in North America, um, uh, which is crazy, totally nuts. Um, and so we hired, we grabbed a couple people out of the, I think it would have been three people more, but we kicked them out of the event and threw black shirts on them and forced them to judge because uh, <laughs> we needed the extra help. It was, it was, it was a crazy event. Uh, it only started an hour late, which was not bad considering all the logistics that had to be handled on the fly. Um, uh, but it, it was, it was a great event. We had ton of fun great feedback we got to throw a whole bunch of extra stuff in the prize pool because we had twice the number of people we thought we would so we took in way more money than we thought we would uh we ran i think 14 modern masters side drafts because modern masters had come out the week before uh we had a 30 person legacy event on the side yada yada yeah that's pretty great it was it was crazy um but that was sort of my my step into big tournament organizing um, and that was uh at the end of that day when i got through it all i sort of like looked around it's like holy smokes like that happened you know mm-hmm. um and uh it was it was it was it made me realize that i had i had a skill you know that this was this was something i was good at and something i wanted to do more of um so uh the week after that was Vegas. So I, I wrapped up that huge tournament. I went to Vegas, got to participate in that crazy shenanigans. Um, and, uh, and then, uh, sort of came back and sort of looked at, at life again. It was like, Holy Toledo. Like, all Where right, to go? This, where to go? From yeah, here? Where, exactly. So it was like, um, I, I, and it was on a road trip later on that summer. Um, with my my girlfriend at the time we're getting married next month uh, congratulations well thank you thank you uh we were we were we were road tripping out to, to montreal for a music festival and i said you know what like i want to i want to open my own shop like i want to i want to start something you know uh and 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 i've always had an affinity for bringing people together and throwing a good party and i wanted to do that every day um and so she said, you know what, like, that's crazy. Go for it. You know? Um, so she, that was when I was like, all right, let's see what this can be. And my first plan was to do a board game cafe. Um, I don't know if anyone's heard of snakes and lattes. Um, uh, but yeah, I think we mentioned it on one of the shows I've done so far. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like a, it has nothing to do with magic. They don't do magic at all, but they do, board games really well they've got a huge free-to-play library it's a super classy little joint uh, they're packed all the time um so they, they and it's you you show up you pay five bucks you grab any board games you want you hang out and play board games and order a coffee or whatever um so it's 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 a really cool spot and that was that's sort of been my inspiration for what i wanted to do um but with a bit of a magic element um so so i sort of started planning that um, I had a bit of a separation from 
my from the hairy tarantula we decided to go separate ways we had different visions of what that would be mm-hmm. uh, and uh and i sort of at i in uh after a couple more big ptqs and stuff like that we parted ways and in february of 2014 yeah february 2014 i sort of you know, publicly declared, you know what, I'm, I'm doing my own thing. I'm coming up with this great idea. I had a, had a great run at the Harry T, but I'm ready for something new. Um, and, uh, and that night, Sal messaged me from the Montreal store face to face and said, so you want to open a store in Toronto or what? (laughs) And, uh, I sort of said to him, like, you know what, I really want to do this board game cafe thing. Like, you know, I, I think, It'll be great. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, he said, like, oh, okay. He's like, yeah, cool. Follow your dream. When that fails, let me know, and we'll start a really awesome thing in Toronto sell Mad Cards. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, like, thanks, I guess. Like, cool. Um, and uh, and so I sort of kept on doing my thing, getting, getting things in order. And the more I thought about it, I was like, man, that would be sweet. That would be really sweet. Like, Face to Face is such a huge brand, and you know, it's got, you know, people love the Montreal store. They do such a great job on customer service with the website and people, they've, you know, got a lot of good karma there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought, you know what, maybe, uh, so about a month later, I sort of messaged Sal. I was like, okay, so what, what would this look like? Can we still have a cafe? And he's like, yeah, sure, whatever. That's going <laughs> to yeah, sell more magic cards. Yeah, do it. If that's what you want to do, cool. Don't care. Like, just, Show me that it'll be awesome, and, and we'll do it. So we sort of got the ball rolling on that. I started hunting around for real estate and stuff like that, trying to find a place for rent in Toronto. And um, uh, if I mean, if there's entrepreneurs out there looking for advice about starting up your own store, I I did not comprehend how important location is, um, and I lucked out in that I found a spot right at the corner of a subway stop and I, I had no clue how important that was. I would, I, if I had to do it all again with the knowledge I have now, that would be number one on my list is it's gotta be right outside a subway stop uh, because it makes it really, really easy for people to travel to. The second, the second thing that I've learned is super, super important that I didn't do is ground floor. I, we're on the second floor and it's way better than a basement it's way cheaper than a ground floor would be, but it's not the ground floor. And we miss so much traffic in the neighborhood. The Magic players all come and find us because Magic players know... They know where the stores are. Yeah, and they know we're worth finding, so they, they try a little harder. But especially as we have the cafe, we miss so much walk-in traffic. Uh, you know, It's so hard to get people to walk up a flight of stairs. For some reason, people don't want to walk up a flight of stairs. So that that's that's... That, that's my advice to anyone looking for spaces. Uh, so we got we got everything rolling pretty quick at the shop. Uh, signed a lease in July. We had a, and then we went to work renoing it. I I did construction for four years, so I'm like halfway handy when it comes to things that don't require like you know a license. Like you know I can't do your plumbing or your electrical because I'm not allowed to, but. We did all the floors in here. We did all the painting. My dad's a drywall taper, and he was in town, so he taped all the drywall, did all the mudding uh, before we painted and stuff like that. And then, uh, and then we 
we did all the floors, we got showcases, yada yada. We got we we actually did a really cool. Um, uh, there's Peter did a really cool blog post. I'll I'll try to find it and send it to you so you can put it in the show notes. Yeah, sure. Um, of like the evolution of the store, of it going from, uh, you know, a bunch of white walls and piles of garbage and no ceiling tiles through everything we had to do to turn it into a game store. Um, yeah, that sounds sweet. Yeah, it was it was really really cool. Uh, and I had it all like I had a timeline of like we're gonna do this on this day because you got to you know sorting out deliveries. I didn't want the flooring to get, you know, the, the laminate flooring to get delivered too early because then it's in our way while we're mudding and, and painting and all that. But I didn't want it too late because then we can't get the showcases in. So I had a, you know, I had a whole timeline. Um, and in my timeline, I budgeted a day for assembling all our Ikea furniture because we had like, you know, all our shelving was going to be Ikea, all our tables, chairs, all this Ikea stuff. Cool. And, uh, as as I was sort of going through, we got about a week and a half before that happened. And I started counting. I'm like, okay, 13 tables, 17 shelving units, four, four DVD cases, and 55 chairs. And I'm going to do this in a day? How many people did well, you have? <laughs> well, this is what I started thinking, right? I'm like, that's ridiculous. There's no way that can happen. So I was like, I need an army of people. I need like an army of people to assemble IKEA furniture. And so we reached out to our community, and we did that in a couple ways. We reached out to Magic players we knew. We said, Hey, we've got this thing coming up. If you want to come help, we need, you know, we'll do it on a holiday Monday at the beginning of August. We'll make a bunch of food. We'll make a bunch of drinks. You know, we'll just hang out and put IKEA furniture together all day. And at the end of the day. We'll play board games on all the furniture we just assembled. <laughs> you know, if we can get it done, cool. Ikea party. Uh, Ikea party, exactly. And that's exactly what we called it. We called it the Ikea party. <laughs> um, and we got our we got our local um, we got our local community association. We got in touch with them. Uh, they're called DECA, Danforth East Community Association. And I cannot thank them enough for everything they've done for us. They're a, they're just a a neighborhood organization of parents and families that want to make this neighborhood we're in a better place. Uh, and so they help businesses, they help schools, they do anything that'll make the neighborhood a better place. Um, and so they, we got talking with them and they're like, you guys sound awesome. Absolutely. We want to help. So they put out a call. So we had about 15 magic players show up about 15 friends and family and about 25 people from the neighborhood that we never met. Didn't know us from, you know, uh, and, and they showed up just to put some furniture together. Um, and we had fun with it. You know, I made like certificates of achievement, you know, like Ikea engineer certificate, you know, (laughs) bring this back when we're open. We'll give you 25% off your first purchase. Like, thanks for helping out. Um, and and a kid came back actually a month later and he he brought his certificate. He's like, and he'd gotten it framed. He was like, I have it on my wall. <laughs> I'm an engineer. I'm like, yeah, you are right on, buddy. Um, so, so it was crazy. We got all the, all the furniture, all like 75 pieces of the furniture assembled in four and a half hours, uh, which was mind-blowing. Solid. Yeah, so that's, that's something we did that I really loved was reaching out and asking, asking the community for help. Um, and whether, whether it's putting together a bunch of Ikea furniture or 
getting judges or, you know, um, what, whatever task you need doing, there's probably people out there who want to help you. Um, so don't be afraid to ask. And, you know, sometimes people will not be afraid to value their time and labor and you'll have to like pay them, you know, either in money or food or store credit or whatever. Um, but, but don't be afraid to ask for help because if you're starting a business, you will not get through it on your own. Let me tell you, um, <laughs> it, you will definitely need help. So, um, so that was it. We opened a week, a week and a half after that. And, uh, kind of the rest is history. That's, that's how face to face games Toronto came to be. That's a hell of a story. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, it, it's, it's, crazy that that that's that's that this is my life you know uh two and a half years ago i never would have possibly thought that i would be a a a successful game store owner um i say successful loosely i don't we haven't actually you know i don't have a big pile of money yet or anything but i have a store and i've you know paid all the bills last month so i'll call it a win (laughs) hey that's fair that's usually how I close up most shows. Actually, I ask, you know, what what do they think uh, success looks like? Where's that level? And oh. for some people, it is. It's very much like, yeah, I paid the bills and I paid myself. That's a win. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm not sitting on a million dollars, but that's what I yeah. wanted when I started the shop. So. Yeah, and I think I think um, that's a, that's a really great question, uh, and I think the most important thing when you're measuring success you can't forget to include your happiness, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's something that so often gets overlooked is, uh, is, is just genuine, genuine satisfaction. You know, like I, I, I left the store this afternoon. I went and picked my daughter up from, from school. We hung out, we made dinner, we played outside for a bit. I went to like a parent, uh, student council meeting thing for the first time. Cause you know, that's what, that's what a dad of a, someone in junior kindergarten does, you know? Um, and, and then I came back to the store and did a bunch more work, you know, like, and now we're here talking on the cast. I'll probably be here after doing more stuff. Uh, but the fact that I get to make my own schedule, that's a huge part of success for me is the fact that I get to pick and choose when, when I do my work. Um, it, it means a lot to me that I can go be with Ava for, for the time she's awake and you know put her to bed and come back to work if I have to you know yeah that's definitely one of the most appealing things with being an entrepreneur is uh, setting your own hours yeah yeah for sure I, I, I didn't realize how important it was to me until I and, until I was living it you know mm-hmm. um, so uh, what you got any questions you got any no, yeah uh, for sure <laughs> I've been uh, keeping track I actually wanted to Ask you a question while you were talking about when you were uh, exploring your options for the biggest PTQ in North America at the time. Yeah, you mentioned uh, planning was your like most. Im- I want to say you know, the most important part. That if uh, you skip that part, you you know shorthand yourself on planning up front. It is not going to pan out. So I wanted to ask you what is your planning process? You talked about going to all the venues and checking them out. Like, what else do you? Uh, oh, yeah, what's your yeah, research yeah. like? Um. So, in in the most basic sense of of the the concept, planning needs to for me. You need to look at what do I need, like what what are my non negotiables for for this event to happen or this store or whatever. Like, what are the absolute musts, 
and then lay that out. And then on top of that, you need to add like in magical Christmas land, what do I want? Um, if I could have it all, what do I want? And then the reality is going to fall somewhere in between. Um, and as long as you have everything you need and some of what you really wanted, uh, you're, you're, you're on the path of success. So, um, so what, when I set out looking for a venue or when I set out planning a PTQ, you know, I said, what do we need? We need a, a room with tables and chairs. We need judges to run the tournament. We need players to play in the tournament and we need prizes to give them. Um, you know, those, those are four things somewhere, someone to run it, someone to play in it and stuff to give them all. Um, and, and then the rest was sort of, you know, up for debate. If, you know, what, what would we want? What could we want? You know, um, in, in magical Christmas land, your venues, 10,000 square feet with infinity room of beautiful tables and chairs. And it costs you $25 to rent for the day, uh, you know, um, but obviously the reality is somewhere in between. So, so I guess for me, my planning process, uh, it involves figuring out what, what, what do you need and what do you want and, and figuring out somewhere in the middle. Um, specifically for magic tournaments, I would say things that people really need to pay attention to when planning mm-hmm. are, um, our venue accessibility, like I said, being being close to that subway station, really, really important for PTQs and stuff too, or, or other large off-site events. Um, ha- having, having good people running the tournament is going to be the most important thing. And, and over and over again in business, the thing I've been like, like hammered on the head with over and over and over again is it's who you do business with that determines your success. Um, and, and, and that's, that's from, from judges to employees to promoters. Um, uh, I, I, I opened the store with, uh, four other people. Um, here's a little tangent. Me and me and my old buddy, Tony, we met playing magic up at the Harry T a long time ago. We got to know each other and we always liked to daydream when him and I were sitting on the subway or we started hanging out outside of magic tournaments pretty quick and just spending life together. We would always like magical Christmas land dream. Like we could, if we could run a magic store, like, Oh man, what would we do? Like, yeah, he, he was a chef. He'd been a chef for 10 years at the time and be like, man, we would make the best food. We'd have this, you know, because that's the only reason people ever leave a magic tournament. It's because they're hungry. Usually, they get generally hangry. speaking, that's true. Yeah, they, they get hangry and they're you know they're O three drop and they're like screw this, let's leave and go get burritos. Um, but if you can just serve them the burritos, then maybe they'll stick around and draft, you know, or whatever, you know. Um, so we we're like, yeah, it'll be awesome. People never want to leave. It's gonna be the greatest place ever. Um, so Tony and I were in it from like day one. He was always part of the plan uh, that that he would be there and we would work together and have this awesome have this awesome store um and then the other three people i brought on uh peter had been helping me sort of organize the southern ontario magic society thing which is like a facebook group that turned into a tournament series and it was crazy um but it was cool and so we already had like a pretty good working relationship and 
um, he actually had his own online card store um, that he got out of to join the team. He was sort of getting out of it anyway, um, but he, he was he joined the team and Daniel Fournier, who was uh, you know he he'd worked in another game shop in town for a long time and he quit that because he wanted to go back to school and stuff. And Jay, who had worked with up at the Harry T, he was he he quit and then we brought him on. But there was I had this core group of people that were all people I knew. That's this is the point here that that I had people I knew, people I trusted, and people I was happy to work with from day one. And and, and honestly, most of them I had from day like negative five hundred. Um, and I talked with them and said, you know what, this I want to do this business, and you're a part of it. You don't know it yet, but you're a part of it. Um, and and I, this store wouldn't be as successful as it is without without that. Um, so doing it, doing business with the right people will lead to success. People you can trust, people you can rely on, and people who um, are motivated. So um, so yeah, planning, planning, good people, good spaces, um, and then just just talk about it. Just tell people about it. You know, whether that's on Facebook, whether that's in person, um, whether that's, you know, uh, through getting other stores to help support it as well. You know, even if it's maybe it's not as something as complicated as getting them to come and vend at your store. But maybe it's, uh, you know, maybe it's it's giving uh, giving a store like free entry. Say, hey, you know what, if you give away do you want to give away free entry to my big tournament at your FNM this week, uh, or something like that? You know, as long as you make a big announcement, hand out these flyers, I'll give you, you know, three free entries that are worth ninety dollars to your players, thirty bucks each or whatever. Um, it, you know, it's a bunch of extra prizes for your players, and all all you have to do is tell people about it. You know, mm-hmm. um, or or maybe it's other ways of working with your local community and your other stores. Um, Toronto historically had 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 been sort of at each other's throats. All the all the game stores here were, you know, had had bitter feuds that had gone on for what seemed like decades. You know, of price wars on on booster packs and you know, tia you know store owners intentionally scheduling events over top of other stores' events to try to like steal the players and stupid stuff like that, and just generally not working together um and the thing i learned about magic pretty early on is that it's not like there's a fixed pool of magic players to draw from it it, it it's not like you know market share doesn't work the same way uh as as say like you know smartphones you know mm-hmm. the smartphone everyone has a smartphone now so if if i I'm going to become an Apple user. It means I'm going to stop being an Android user, you know? And so when those companies are fighting over their customers, that's they're, they're really stealing from each other. But in magic, not everybody in the world plays magic, you know, like what, like 1% of the population has ever even heard of this game. Like, yeah, it's something along those lines. Yeah. So instead of fighting over the players that do exist, I came into this thing, Let's just make more magic players. Let's just let's just get more people interested in the game. And and I think Wizards has really taken that approach lately too. We've seen this huge growth in the game over the last five or six years, 
because they're like, hey, let's make more people play Magic. And, and it, if, if I can make a whole new subset of Magic players who are really interested in the game and really excited about the game, and, you know, we go from having, you know, 10,000 Magic players in the city of Toronto to 20,000, and if everybody does that globally of make more Magic players, it, it, it has this effect of meaning everyone's tournaments do better. And not only everyone's tournaments do better because there's more people wanting to play, but there's still the same number of of Shocklands and Tarmogoyfs and there's just more people who want them now. Like from a business perspective, if you make more people want the thing you sell, the price of and there's limited supply, the price of that thing goes up. Right? I mean yep. that's how business works. Supply and demand. So increase demand and you'll in, increase sales, you know? Um, so you know that's 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 what I've been working on. Uh, how did I get on this tangent? Where am I? We started off uh, planning tournaments. Kind of yeah. rolled into this. That's fine. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. So make more people play Magic. That's that's another awesome thing that is completely unrelated to tournament Magic. But like, you know, teach but, other people to play. Get people excited about the game. That buddy you played with in high school that is like, you know, just downloaded Duels of the Planeswalkers and is like, yo, hey, remember how we used to play Magic? Invite them out to pre-release. You know, like get people back into the game, get new people into the game, show people how awesome this game is and, and, and help it grow because the yeah. more people who play, the better the game is for everybody. Yeah, and generally uh, speaking, magic will take it from there. Yeah. It's exactly. a great game, right? So it's, it's not hard to get people hooked. You know, I, I, it's, it's, it, it really is cardboard crack, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, no, I know what you mean. I'm actually bringing a couple of people who just started playing magic to the, the uh, Battle for Zendikar pre-release, so Perfect. I'm excited Perfect. about that. That's going to be fun. Good for you. One thing, um, I mean, we want to talk about, uh, I'll, I'll continue this tangent of getting people playing Magic. One of the things, uh, I, I, I come from a child and youth work background. I spent uh, two years at George Brown College doing child and youth work. I was like a camp leader when I was a kid. I did youth program when I you know, go traveling for church and stuff like that when I was younger. And, uh, you know, I've always liked working with kids and youth. Um, and one of the things that got me excited about the store was, uh, when I started like looking at my job prospects as a child and youth worker, child and youth worker, for those who don't know, is basically like a social worker who only deals with, you know, kids age six to 21 or whatever. Um, so it's kind of like just focusing on kids. Um, but, but all the jobs that exist in the child and youth work field are all about helping kids whose lives have already gone horribly wrong in some way. Uh, it's it's all reactive. You yeah, know, it's all that, cure instead of prevention, right? Exactly. My my second year placement was at a at a jail, like a like a minimum security jail for for teens, um, and it was awesome. I loved it, and I taught these kids to play games. You know. I'd, one of them was even willing to learn to play magic, but we played like board games and all kinds of stuff like that. Um, and, and they were into it and it made me realize that all the work I do at the game store, teaching people to play magic and hanging out and whatever, that's child and youth work. And I can actually achieve way more child and youth work as, as a business owner, um, doing magic stuff and, and doing a board game cafe than I can, doing child and youth work like 
because this is this is me taking my two two of my passions working with working with youth and working with games and smushing them all into one like um and so one thing we started when we opened the shop i started what i i called apprentice league uh an apprentice league was you know taking all these random kids who wander into the store because kids would walk by and they'd see a big sword and shield logo deckled on the window and they go whoa swords awesome yep. they didn't wander up here and we just start teaching these kids how to play magic and uh, you know it when we first opened it was pretty quiet you know during the day after school and stuff like that yeah we had like big tournaments at seven o'clock at night but from about three thirty till five it was pretty chill so i could sit down and teach little timmy how to play magic and if you want people advertising your store or your brand, don't teach adults, teach kids. If you teach an adult something they really enjoy, like show them a new game or teach them to play magic again, they'll tell like that, that one guy at work that they're not afraid to admit that they're nerdy too. You know? yeah. like, hey man, like check out this thing I learned again. Oh man, it's so cool. But you tell a kid, they will tell literally anyone who will listen about magic. They'll be like going up to their teacher at lunch you know the milk ladies there, like pouring milk. They're like, "Yeah, you played magic cards." And the ladies like, "I don't even know what you like. Leave me alone." But kids will tell everyone about magic, and so we saw this really hilarious ripple effect where like one or two kids came in the first day, and then the next day there was like eight of them. And then the next day there was like fourteen of them, and like it just went on and on and grew and grew and grew. And then the the, <laughs> the next funny thing that happened was about a week later. All these moms started coming into the store and they had this like quizzical look on their face like, what's going on here? Where's my child been hanging out all week? I don't know about this place. And they'd sort of come in and suss us out and we'd talk to the parents and like, oh, okay, yeah, this is what we're doing. Like, yeah, this is they're like, okay, all right, yeah, I guess this is better than doing drugs in the street. All right, yeah, all right, fine. Yeah, um, maybe they thought it was actual magic. Or yeah, perhaps yeah, exactly. black magic, sorcery. What kind of wizardry is this? Yeah. So we um, we wound up. So we, we apprenticely grew and grew, and and it wasn't long before Tuesdays after school, when we you know at from four to five thirty, we were giving you know wizards gives you those free little thirty card intro decks. You know, if you ask wizards nicely in your store, they'll send you these little decks that are thirty cards. They're garbage. There's nothing good in them, but. There's a lot of fun in them. You know, there's there's no money cards, but you don't need money cards to play Magic and have a good time. And exactly. You don't need Magic. Um, and so we, we use these decks to teach kids, and then kids would be like, yo, you can go and get free stuff. And then more kids came. And um, so Apprentice League was, I first started trying to actually run a tournament. That didn't go well. No, you don't run a tournament with kids. It's literally whack-a-mole. Like, hey, Timmy, Johnny, you guys are done playing? Okay, someone play Sally. Like, just literally play as much magic as possible in an hour and a half and then go home. Uh, and, and that was, has been so successful. We added a second day. Um, I, my cost on running apprentice league twice a week, uh, at first is it's an hour and a half. It's twice a week. So it's like three hours. Uh, at first I had a, a couple volunteers who were willing to help out and do it. Um, literally just for free. Cause they like, playing magic and they like playing with kids um and so i just got a couple magic volunteers to help out and then uh at a certain point like it got big enough that i said you know you know i'm actually gonna get staff to do this 
so I, I I now pay people. You know, I pay someone to to run Apprentice League, but it, man, it is worth every penny. Um, it, the the interest in the game it generates, the sales it generates, sort of passively through like people are now playing Magic, so they buy an intro deck or. Mm-hmm. Um, like the Card Kingdom guys were saying, we actually started assembling what we call troves. We call them troves. That okay. on, on the website, you can find them as Insta collections or mega collections. Mm-hmm. And for us, the way we make them here, a trove is a one-row white cardboard box of a thousand magic cards. Uh, when I first started making them, it came with like a hundred land, twenty-five just junky rares, which aren't worth anything, but. Scrag Goliath is a 9-9 with Trample. Like, that guy gets work done. You know, kids are super excited when they pull a Scrag Goliath out of a treasure trove. Um, so, and and then just, like, bulk. Just, like, bulk magic cards from what you take in. So, like, 900-odd just commons and uncommons from whatever. Um, and so that was how the first ones were, were land, rares, and commons and uncommons. Just And then after about a week and a half of kids saying, is there a planeswalker in there? Can I get a planeswalker? Can I get a mythic rare? I was like, okay, every trove comes with one planeswalker and one mythic rare. <laughs> you know, that, and, that, and now, like, that's every trove has one, like, perfect. So now they can buy, with all the commons and uncommons and the rares, you get a planeswalker. And it's, you know, Jace Architect of Thought or, or yeah. Raska from the dual decks or, you know, Gideon Champion of Justice or whatever junky planeswalkers we've got laying around. Yeah, but kids don't care. Kids just want a planeswalker. And they're still yeah, it's still awesome, awesome to them. Yeah, exactly. Chandra, Chandra, what's, I don't even remember what the original Chandra was called. Nalar. She's She's great when you're playing with, you know, Ons Goblin Raiders in your deck. You know, she is the highlight of your deck. Um, and that's that's one of the most successful things we've done of turning, like, random stuff that's laying around into revenue. It's by putting it in a box and, and selling it to kids. And and it's there's no, there's no illusion about it. You know, I tell people straight up, like, you're not going to get a $50 card in here. It's not like a, you know, the lottery ticket, though, there's a Snapcaster in one of these, you know. It's not that. It's like, these are just cards to teach you how to play Magic and, and to get you started deck building, get you having fun with it. Um, so, again, that comes back to being upfront with people. Don't try to hook them on to being crazy good stuff in there. But it's, it, it serves its purpose, you know. Kind of like uh, the deck builders do get when they first came out with that. It, exactly. Yeah, you're not expect, don't, don't expect anything crazy, but it's a great way to enter the game. Simple. Exactly. So, um, yeah, that's that. Cool. Next. Awesome stuff. Uh, where were we going? Okay, uh, next question. Uh, actually, you wanted to know, you said you were the co-owner of yeah. Face Face Toronto. So, like, how does it work? Like, because Sal owns Face Race Montreal, right? So do you co-own Face Face Montreal now, too? No, no. Or is it, what's uh, the... That's... Uh, that he he's a generous man. Uh, he's not you know he's that would that be generous. unreasonable. Okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, I I didn't do any of that work setting up that store, so why would I own it? Uh, but but uh, but we we together own this store. Um, gotcha. And, uh, and you know, without going too much into our our side arrangements, of things, but... we, we've we 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 move a lot of cards back and forth. You know that's that's one of the perks of having a, a second store, um, and it, it's a really symbiotic relationship where we 
when we sell out of something, we and the Montreal, you know, the website's got 75 copies, they just send us a few, you know? And when when people come in and say, "Hey, I'm I'm cashing out of magic. I've got a $10,000 collection. Do you want it?" Most you know, little game stores in in a, in a city have to say like, well, you know, I, I've got like you know fifteen hundred bucks. Uh, yeah, I'd I love to, but I it. can't. You know, I can take some of it, but not all of it. Whereas we can just say like, yeah, man, we'll take it all. Like, okay, I've got you know twenty six copies of Snapcaster made. You sure you want all twenty six? Like, yep, no problem. Yeah, those will move real fast. No problem. I'll, I'll keep the six or eight I need here in the store, and I'll ship the rest to Montreal, right? And mm-hmm. they'll put them on, you know, they'll take them to GPs or put them on the website, or you know, I don't even know what they do with all the cards I send them sometimes. But but uh, and, and that's you know, for for people running a business or people thinking about a business, that's some advice I can give you is don't be afraid to trade with your neighbors. You know, I do it with other stores in town sometimes too. You know, I know they're looking for a specific card or. Or they've got too much of some sealed product or some board game, and we'll trade. You know, hey, I've got some stuff that you need, and you've got stuff that I need. Let's work something out. Um, because yeah, an extension of the whole uh, cooperate, don't uh, compete if you don't have to. Exactly, exactly. And there's, um, it's it's bizarre. Magic is uh, some someone should write a master thesis on economics and magic because magic is this really bizarre commodity um and and you know it's 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 we're we're really a commodities market more so than a retail market because you can't just put an order in with wizards for another 10 copies of horizon canopy when you sell it that's not how this game works mm-hmm. uh, that's not how singles works um and and so it, it, there's all this bizarre stuff that happens with supply and demand, um, and because you know Moto is all digital, right? So you'll see the everything on Moto costs the same price, but in 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 paper magic, it's not like that, right? Like some store might be buying a card for ten dollars because you know maybe it's a twelve fifteen dollar card, but they're buying it for ten because they don't have any. Whereas another store's got a eighty copies, so they're only buying it for five, right? Um, yeah. And that's and that's it's. It's a $15 card, but someone can offer you twice as much for it simply because they need it. They're going to turn around and sell it right away. And so that's, you know. Yeah, local market fluctuations. Exactly. There's a, it can change a lot just from store to store, even exactly. within cities. Exactly. And and so don't, you know, don't be afraid to go talk to your neighbors and say like, man, yeah, I'm, I'm selling out. Of, you'll say I'm selling out of modern cards left, right, and center because we're doing modern, you know, twice a week now. And the other store will say like, good for you i can't keep standard stuff in stock because we do standard three times a week you know or we just had this big standard term and we sold out everything and work something out you know uh, it'll be good for both of you because cards in your showcase are literally just sitting there right and so if you can trade them for cards that are going to move it's going to work out well for everybody yeah there's almost no reason to try and do that at least with some of your neighbors yeah yeah exactly only upside basically exactly um and and I, I even work with like some of the backpack vendors and stuff like that. Like I, I, you know, some of the guys who've got like these insane collections, I'll message some of them when like I run out of, of steam vents or whatever. Like, Hey, I know you have a hundred copies of every Shockland because you're that guy. Uh, <laughs> you mind hooking me up with a couple? I'll give you a real good trade rate on them right now. Cause I've got a guy here who's building, you know, a modern splitter twin deck and, 
he, he needs them for Saturday. Like, can you bring him? Um, so that's I, that's that's going a little far, but that's something I know but a lot of people. Once do. you get those connections, it's something that you can take advantage of. Exactly, exactly. And and it, again, it, the golden rule: it all comes back to people, man. Like people people are happy to work with me and deal with me and 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 because of the relationships I've built with them you know um, yeah you know even right back to to Sal like me and Sal weren't good friends we didn't know you know we didn't know each other for for years going back or anything like that like we'd seen each other at a couple GPs he'd seen me working hard judging or you know working hard bending for for my shop or whatever you know and that, that was the extent of our relationship. And he was willing to reach out to me and, and say, hey, let's open a store together based on that relationship. Like, that's crazy. You know, that, that and your reputation, right? And, and that's exactly it. And this is something I said, uh, I, did a, I did a judge conference uh, a couple weeks ago. I presented at a judge conference. And I said, you know, one, one thing you need to do is, is build those relationships. And you can do that by sort of, branding yourself and and having sort of a you know have a reputation that people know and and um is is a positive one yeah hopefully they respect you not a reputation as a as an asshole yeah and 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 that's you know what it came back to like a lot of people will say you know what like yeah i can you know I'm not in a job interview right now, so whatever, I'll act however I want. But you actually don't know when you're in a job interview, and life is one thing I've learned. All, all, all the people I opened the store with, I, I was interviewing them before I even had thought of opening a store with them, and that you know, that and that was just a matter of me passing judgments on them. And you know what, like you're going to do things in life, and people are going to judge you for it, and if you can't. If you're if you're not always putting your best foot forward, you never know the bridges you're burning, or you never know the the doors you're opening by by putting your 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 best foot forward. So, well, it's it's it seems it seems like a small thing, but just the way you carry yourself, the way you interact with other people, the the relationships you build. That's you know you never know what opportunities. Yeah, being being the best version of you. I don't know what that looks like because everybody's different. But whatever the best version of you as a human being is, show that um, and be that. Good advice for life and magic. It's amazing how often they parallel. Uh, it really is. Yeah. So, and actually, uh, there was another thing that you mentioned, too. Uh, we talked about how magic was uh, exploding and how wizards in the past like five years really focused on recruitment essentially right like they've mm-hmm. they've been getting so many new players into the game that yeah, that's part sure. of the reason that the, the growth has been happening it's just it's almost been like exponential for the last little while yeah. but uh I've, i think I've it, talk- i think it i think it's literally been exp- isn't it like 1.25 percent uh or like like the multiple yeah like yeah i think so somewhere between one and two like yeah, do- was, almost doubling every couple of years for the last nuts. like five years which is pretty crazy and yeah. I've had uh, this conversation with a few of the people who've been on the show. They either think that uh, magic is a bubble and it's going to burst, and typically when a bubble bursts, it just like it'll all of a sudden half the people will just disappear. Like the game will just drop off a cliff, or they think you know it's going to peak basically and it's going to start to do descend. Where do you uh, 
stand on uh, what do you think Magic's future looks like? Um, I R and D says they've got like a plan for so many years from now, and yada yada. Magic to me, this game is so good. This game is just fundamentally such a good game. Like the fact that I, who played as a kid, I hadn't hadn't really played a game of Magic since I was. 15 or 16 years old, I show up at a shop, almost 10 years later, I say I want to join a draft, I sit down at a table, and I start playing Magic again. The fact that I was able to do that, like, yeah, I probably spent a really long time reading those cards, like, it's probably that guy trying to remember, like, wait, is First Strike the one where you deal damage, or is that flanking, like, Mm -hmm. you know, um... But the fact that I was able to just pick up the game after such a long hiatus is is shows something amazing. Yeah. And and Duels of the Planeswalkers, I think, is the single most amazing tool Wizards produced. Totally by accident. They were not <laughs> expecting Duels to be such a hit. But Duels has gotten more people back into magic um, than anything else than than anything else. Um, and then the the game is is good like it's really good and i i don't see any reason why people will stop playing this game or 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 stop starting playing this game if you know what i mean like yeah like there's no reason new people won't get into magic um and and wizards continues to produce like amazing products like every set is fantastic um you know people will argue that battle for zendikar has a really low power level and yada yada but it's it's still gonna sell like hotcakes. It's still people are still gonna play a ton of magic. People are still really excited about this set. You know, we we have, you know, we're almost well, I guess we're only five days away from pre release now, but we've over double pre sold our pre release as to any other pre release before this, and it's we're still five days away. Nice. Um, which is amazing. Um but I, I don't I don't think you know unless Wizards does something horribly wrong, um, I don't I don't see any reason people are going to stop playing Magic and uh, all the things people talk about uh, the problems with Magic and you know like oh Hearthstone's coming up and doing so well and yada yada. There is something irreplaceable about cards in your hand, um, and I think a reason you know I I st- I got back into Magic to kick my WoW addiction. Like, I was, like, that guy, you know, spending 40 hours a week playing World of Warcraft. And one of my big motivating factors for starting to play Magic again was I I was tired of sitting in front of a computer screen all day. And Mm -hmm. I think we've seen this huge renaissance of, like, Euro board games and role-playing games. Like, Dungeons & Dragons is bigger than it's ever been. And Pathfinder. And there's all the, you know, the, the, the new Star Wars RPGs, FFGs doing... All these board games that are really board games, tabletop, RPGs, all this stuff is really taking off because there's so many people who are trying to get away from their screens, in my mind. And and people play a lot of Moto and stuff too, and and, and that's that. But I, I, I think Paper Magic will have uh, a lifespan that that goes on as long as I can see the future of the world. Like As long as there's people playing games, there'll be people playing Magic, in, in my eyes. Yeah, so. I would have personally have to agree. I think uh, Magic is probably the best game. Like you could probably yeah. end the sentence right there. It's probably the best game made so far. Yeah. 
Like, yeah. And, and, and I think it'll kind of be like chess. As long as Wizards keeps making it, people will keep playing it. And you know what? There's so many things that I, uh, I think, um, I was listening to a podcast earlier today, actually, uh, hardcore history it's called. Oh yeah. And, I love those guys. Oh man. I just got into it today. It is so good. Anyway, he's talking about, um, uh, how, how there's all these sort of historical figures that sort of did these wonderful things for society and humanity by accident. Um, and he called them, what did he call them? He called them like, uh, historical arsonists, mm-hmm. sort of like accidentally burning things down so that a new thing can come up. And I think there's a lot of things, a lot of like mechanics of magic that were sort of like accidental mistakes that have led to magic success. Um, because as much as people hate getting mana screwed or mana flooded, um, and as much as people say like it's like the biggest flaw in the game, I think it's also one of the secrets to the success of the game. Because people love people everywhere, pros, casuals, everyone loves being able to blame their loss on something other than their skill level. And and, and not that everyone does it all the time, but there's just that like like the bad beat story is such an important part of magic of like sharing how like things just if things had just gone a little bit better it really wasn't your fault you just didn't draw well there's nothing you could have done about it like man that sucks yeah you lost your winning in you got <laughs> flooded like and and, and it, you know you can sort of gloss over all the all the matches you won because your opponent got totally screwed that's not really as important but i did really well i did a lot of winning and then i you know just when my luck turned that was when things sort of fell apart it wasn't my fault um and i think that's like one of the things that really uh you know people criticize me for saying that but i I think that is one of the things that people really like about the game secretly you know that keeps them coming back Um, hey you very well could be right it could be just a cognitive bias you know just Something that you can scapegoat, but it'll make you feel better, exactly. even if you're not like necessarily consciously doing it the whole time. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, we we recently got these sleeves in that that are that have like the vegetable a beat on them, <laughs> and they just say bad beats on them, and they're like my favorite new sleeves we have <laughs> in the store because they're perfect. Like everyone needs their bad beat story, you know. Yeah, uh, misery loves company. That's it, uh, and and so, but and, you know, and that's just one. That's that's. That's that's the only thing I'll say to like the mechanics of magic that make it such a good game. Uh, that you know, because everyone says everything else. That's a, that's the only like semi unique thing I think I'll say about that. But yeah, I think uh, you're one of the first people who I've heard personally defend like mana screw or mana flooding as like yeah. a good thing for the game. Most people would say like, no, no, it's that is the worst thing that can happen to you. So it, interesting it to hear the opposite perspective. It, it absolutely is the worst thing that can happen to you, and it does make it like functionally a a, a worse game. Like it, like it does make the games less skillful, and it does make it. But I think it's one of the things people love about it. And it's one of the reasons people play the game. Is you know the the idea that you can go to a Grand Prix and sit down against LSB, and you might just win. You know, yeah, variants you know? might just swing your way. Exactly, and 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 nobody's going to beat LSV in round eight of a GP and, and think they're a magic god. You know, nobody's going to be like, oh, yeah, I'm the best because I beat LSV. But you can pat yourself 
on the back a little bit that you know what you had to you must have done something right mm-hmm. you know because um, he's a really good magic player and even if I did get lucky you can't you can't just run on luck in this game that's that's the other important thing yeah I think it's got just the right mix exactly it, yes you can get lucky but you can't ride solely on luck you know the, you see you know Alexander Hain won how many GPs last year like. You don't you don't win multiple Grand Prix in one year, you know. Pascal Maynard won how many GPs last year? Like these these guys, you don't you don't win over and over and over again just because you're lucky. Uh, yeah. But there's there is that mix. So anyway, uh, I've got a whole list of questions here. So then we haven't really gotten any of them, but it's been great anyways. <laughs> yeah, I mean, do you want to keep going? Or yeah, can... sure. You know, uh, I think I... there's still a lot to uh, lot to cover actually. That's a cool stuff. So when we're done here, I have to put IKEA furniture together. So the longer I can put that off, the better. <laughs> yeah, sure, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you've had the store open for uh, about a year now, right? A little over a year. Just over a year. Yep. So what's the biggest mistake? All right, that's part one of the Kelly Ackerman interview. Check back next Friday for the thrilling conclusion to the show. Same bat time, same bat place. But seriously, check out next week's show. And remember, if you want to become a patron of the Maniverse podcast and help support the mission of making game store entrepreneurship easier, head over to patreon.com forward slash Maniverse podcast. Become a patron, and together we can take this show to the next level. As always, thanks for listening. I'll talk to you guys next week.